This is Marcel DeLeon Burke with the DeLeon Talk Podcast. Today I have Ruben Palomares with me, a former LAPD officer. And uh, this is going to be uh, an extended series. We're going to talk about PTSD, uh, the symptoms, uh, you know, those people who suffer in silence, not knowing uh, what they're going through, the depression, the dark cloud hanging over their head, you know, suicidal thoughts and addiction that ties along to PTSD. And from my understanding that uh, you're an expert on the subject, correct? Expert uh, by Personal experience. Personal experience. I, I went through it myself. Okay. Now, what were the uh, the symptoms? What made you look into it further to find out that you were suffering with this? Um, it goes way back when I was uh, assigned to LAPD. I was uh, working undercover mm-hmm. as an undercover narcotics officer. Uh, I got into my first shootout in '94, <clears throat> doing an, an, an undercover sting. Some older men tried to rob me. Gang members tried to rob me, and I shot it out with them. I got shot in both of my legs. I ended up shooting the guys, <clears throat> but I didn't realize the the effects of that shooting, how it was going to start affecting me in, in the long run. <clears throat> I dealt with the physical part of my shooting by going to the hospital, getting treated, getting back to work, but there was no idea. I had no clue what I was going through, but I started having a lot of, a lot of nightmares and flashbacks. But like most of us, because we're not familiar with the, with the symptoms or the signs, and because back in the, in the 90s, didn't have a name for whatever we're going through 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 like they call it a shell shock. When right. people came back from a from Vietnam, they had the 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 name shell shock because you you could be walking down the street and you hear a, a car backfire and right away you're gonna fall on the ground looking for a weapon, thinking you're getting shot at because you're just reliving your 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 shootouts when you were in Vietnam. So the shootings that I was involved with the, with the department. It was the same thing, but I, I nobody, nobody named it. But basically, because we're growing up in an environment where most of us are, are taught to suppress our emotions yeah. and not to talk about our issues, not to talk about our emotions, our feelings. I just suppressed everything. I bottled everything up, and I really felt like it was a way for me to be tougher and stronger in, in regards to my job and dealing with people, and dealing with the the stress of the job and the adrenaline part of the job. After the shooting, I just I went back to work, but I went to patrol and I started working in, in a spot that's pretty familiar called Rampart. Mm-hmm. And in Rampart, I was assigned to this unit called Crash. That unit there is where I started learning more about my own job, but I, I started building my own character as a, as a police officer. PTSD was was there. I didn't know it was there, but it was was driving me to more be more 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 more. Uh, you could say. Uh, Fearless, mm-hmm. I'll go out. I'll go after the shootouts. I go after the drive-by shooting calls. It's like I wanted to get get that fix again. I want to get that feeling of, of that high of, of being in a shootout. Yeah. So I was I was craving it, but I didn't realize that that was the only way that I could um, calm myself down because I was constantly I was always thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad that you're here, man, because a lot of people. There's two sides to this uh, epidemic, the PTS deal. You know, you have those. Civil workers, you know, the police officers, you have the military, you know, you have EMT workers. Those people deal with traumatic situations on a daily basis. And, you know, and then there's the other side to that coin, you know, uh, somebody who's dealing in an environment being locked up in prison, you know, and that's my experience from it because I spent most of my 20s uh, incarcerated in California uh, institutions. So the things that I had to deal with most was the stress of either, you know, not having food, you know, for getting the packages or a race riot may break out, 
or right. called upon to do something that I really don't want to do, but have to do it anyway because the consequences for me would be steep and I may not make it home to my family. Right. You know, and the symptoms I first started dealing with was uh, the depression side of it. You know, it drove me to addiction, to alcohol. That was the only way that I can survive, you know, to block everything out, to just feel numb, you know. And then came along, you know, those, those psychedelic, you know, the psychotic right. part of it, you know, hearing things I'm not supposed to be hearing. You know, I used to hear those phantom knocks on the door thinking that, oh, it's my time is up again. Right. You know what I mean? Nobody's at my door. You know what I mean? So so dealing with that stuff, the anxiety of it, too, being around uh, groups of people, that was really hard for me, man, to be right. around groups of people because I never knew if somebody knew me or if I did something to somebody is catching up to me. Right. You know what I mean? So now, the way I deal with it now is the Holy Bible, man. Right. You know, reaching out to Christ, falling on my knees, asking him to guide me through his life because it's a mental war. You know what I mean? Right. And, and, and it's a lot of clinical attributes to what we go through, but it's also spiritual in nature. Right. You know what I mean? Because the mentality that we have as men is, like you said before, this makes us tougher. This kind of uh, builds a tougher skin around us to deal with those things in life when we're really not dealing with it. We're just masking it. Right. Would you say that's fair? Yes. Yeah. When... When I was going through my stuff, I was doing the same thing. I was, uh, I was self-medicating, but again, it was like uh, you put it in the front because you, you are going through stuff. You do suffer and sin, and you feel that like nobody else understands you or is going through what you're going through because everybody's just quiet, not talking about their own struggles or their own issues. So I was doing this. I was smoking weed, and this is in the 90s. As a police officer, I'd be, I'd smoke weed, and I'd start up. i drink alcohol, and that was what calmed me down. It would settle me down, but... Um, it still drove me into a big time destructive uh, spiral. I started getting into the, the real uh, violence and, and corruption of my job. I started putting into, into uh, just into my own ways of, of, of addressing things. It was just like the way, the way I, would, I would get my fix was to go out and just do some crazy stuff as a police officer. And just like you're talking about prison, I ended up having to get, I got 18 years of, of uh, prison I did 16 out of 18 because of this. And I still didn't know what I had. I, I just blamed it on my own issues. I yeah. blamed it on my own struggles, my own decisions. But it, I'm guilty of my own crimes, everything I did. But same like you, when I went to prison and I started reading the Bible, and then I started digging inside to see what was going on with myself. I started realizing that everything I had was, it has to do with uh, never addressing my issues, never working on, on, on the the traumatic events of our life, even even shootings, even killing somebody, even watching people die left and right everywhere, mm. or even like if, you, if you're, you're living uh, in the life of crime too, same thing, you're, you're still having to watch your back, you're yeah. still wondering when they're gonna come get yeah. you. So it's the same thing, you're, you're, <clears throat> people don't, don't, don't really address it, but a lot of the guys are involved in the, in the criminal lifestyle too, gang members, uh, people that went to prison, they have, they have a lot of the symptoms, and they have it, but they just don't wanna talk about it. Yeah. And, that, and it goes back to the uh, the substance abuse thing. They have something. They know they're dealing with something, but don't necessarily know what it is. So they have to self-medicate. Right. You know what I mean? Take away those memories, those pains of either physical abuse or the, or the mental turmoil they go through of being in a hostile environment, such right. as the streets or prison. You know, and I can imagine how it is for police officers because you guys put your, they, they put their life on the line every day, you know, and as a gang, a former gang member, we put ourselves in that position intentionally. Right. You know what I mean? So the ramifications of that is self-inflicted, is self-imposed. Right. And then, you know, 
we self-medicate with the addictions and, and, and with everything. We play the blame game also. You know what I mean? Like me for a long time, I, I blame my upbringing for my father. Right. You know, for being the way I was, you know, uh, no love, lack of emotions. And that carried me through in a sense as far as the world is concerned. That carried me through. Right. But to become somebody who's following Christ, it, it didn't sit well with me anymore. It didn't resonate anymore. Right. I, I was always had a sense of guilt. Once I accepted Jesus in my life, I had a sense of guilt of the thoughts I had before I even did an action. You know what I mean? So the ramifications was more spiritual than it was physical. So the PTS thing and the spiritual thing, I think they're uh, they're related in, in a lot right. of ways. You think? I, I no, it's hundred percent. It's it's accurate. One thing like you, you brought up about your dad. A lot of time we could were brought up and I'm from I was raised. I'm from Mexico. My family were traditional Mexicans that fathers don't show emotions. It's like the black family. They don't show emotions. Fathers don't don't hug their kids. Don't give them any type of affection. So. We do become tough and, and callous, but at the same time, we use that to survive the streets too. And it's normal for us because we think it's a, a normal toughness for us to, to not be pushed around in the streets, be bullied in the streets, stand up for ourselves. Those are the type of, they could be good if you're using it for the right reason, but then when you start using it for all the other negative stuff, and um, it becomes self-destruction, like destructive. So I was doing the same thing. I, I was blaming my upbringing. I blame the way I was raised by my stepdad, and then I started... I would blame them, them, and then I blame society, just the the environment around me. I would blame, and just like you said, once I started getting deep into the word, I started realizing I was I was the one at fault. It's my fault, but I started really asking God for help because I needed help because it was I was gonna do a lot of time. So for me, I I needed to get myself freed before I I got myself in trouble in prison because I wasn't gonna sit there and. If I'm going to serve God, I got to serve him all the way. I didn't care where I was at. I, I, when I made the decision, that's when I made the decision. But um, I knew I had a lot of issues. I still had a lot of issues with violence. So I knew that in there, uh, being a, a former cop, there, I wasn't going to have a lot of friends yeah, in there. Yeah. So I, I knew that I was going to end up having to either watch my back and already with a high vigilance of PTSD, because that's what PTSD causes you to think that everything, everybody's after you. Yeah. Uh, you're always on, your, on, on, your, on point, on your guard, and, and expecting something to happen. And sometimes nobody's thinking about it but you. Yeah. You're the one that's being tormented. Yeah. Par but, uh, paranoia. Yeah, paranoia. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think one of the things that's important for a lot of people when, they, when they're not aware of what they're going through is knowing the different signs. Like, you, one of them, yes, is depression. But a lot, a lot of them, is, one of them is flashbacks, the nightmares. And like you said, even when uh, you, you're you hear some type of noise that reminds you of something that happened yeah. back then, you still react to it like if it was happening right then in the present. So there's so many different signs that happen, uh, symptoms that people ignore them sometimes, but that's what's, that's what's a, if you don't deal with it, that's what drives you to drugs. Exactly. And a lot of the gang members that I met, even officers, they either self-medicate with alcohol or drugs, all, any kind of drug they could find to self-medicate, but then also the suicide rate is high too because of that. Because yeah. a lot of them don't know that there's a way out. And for us, we know the way out, and, exactly. and it's, it's Jesus, he's the way out. But for a lot of people, because they don't have the way out, the, the medications aren't going to take you so long, so far, and then you end up getting just tired and losing hope. Yeah. And I've met people that have uh, committed suicide because of the, what they're going through, especially the guys in the military and the police officers. They'll just end up uh, cutting it because they, they, they don't know how to handle it. Yeah. Even, even not getting help. People don't ask for help. And that's another big problem with it, with a lot of people, not just the department, but first responders, 
big number of them don't ask for help. If you're in the street, you're not going to ask for help. No, if no, you're no. still active in the neighborhood, you're not going to ask for help because right. that's a form of weakness. That could get you killed. Yeah. And even though when I was in prison, I saw a lot of guys that were running the show, they were, they were a lot of them were heroin addicts. And you know that they're in that position, but they're, stress, they're struggling, they're stressing out. They're trying to hold, hold it together. Yeah. And they're, they're suppressing their emotions. But they really, they know, we know what they're going through. They're, they're about to blow up. Yeah. They're about to blow a fuse. And if they don't blow a fuse, they end up gonna um, they end up having to lock it up, or they're gonna have end up having to uh, fake it till whatever something gives, or they're gonna be miserable and bitter for the rest of their life until they die. Yeah, and it's and it's usually the the latter, usually miserable and bitter to the end because yeah, to bury something and to hold it for that long, you end up breaking. You break. You, know, you end up breaking, and then the person who the people who are mostly affected by it is your family. You know what I mean. And uh, that's, punish them. Yeah, you're punishing them. They're, they're missing out on, on a lot of life that you could have offered them. Right. You know, just by being happy because you, you're loved by more than just yourself. Right. You know what I mean? So. Well, that, something, I, something I listened, like I learned from my, my dad. My dad, my stepdad raised me, mm-hmm. but I, my stepdad was an alcoholic. So we were little kids. I, all I ever remember him is drinking a lot. He suffered a lot from, from his issues. I didn't know. A lot of times, you know, we, we look at the problem, we look at the person who has an addiction, we just look at the addiction. Yeah. We don't know that there's something deep, that they're, you're using the, 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 the drugs or whatever, the alcohol, to self-medicate, like we said. But my dad, he would drink a lot, and he was always angry and bitter, and he was hurt. He was hurting, but we didn't know he was hurting. We didn't know what was wrong with him. We were kids. So we just look at him as an alcoholic. As I got older... Uh, I started asking him questions. Once I gave my life to the Lord and I was in prison, I started talking to him a lot about him, himself because I wanted him to get, I wanted him to stop drinking. I wanted him to get healthy too. So the more I talked to him and I did some, some pres- he ended up sharing a lot of his problems when he was born in Mexico and he was raised in Mexico. His dad uh, used to beat his mom a lot and he ended up intervening every time to stop my grandfather from killing his own mom. So his mom ended up dying anyways. Like, through all the suffering she went through, and he ended up having to take her to the hospital mm-hmm. in his arms when he was like 16. So that alone is just, that right there's a traumatic event. That's what you would call PTSD. Yes. And, and he was drinking all his, all his life till he was, he stopped, he stopped, uh, he, he just passed away a month ago. He was 80, so he stopped like in 62 years old. He stopped drinking because the Lord got a hold of him. He stopped drinking completely. But from whatever childhood, Till 62 years old, he was he was always drinking, and we didn't know he was just suffering from all his issues. And unforgiveness that's a big thing. People don't know that unforgiveness is a big problem that also that's keeps okay. you bound up and uh, keeps keep you stuck in your trauma, yeah. keeps you stuck in your issues. And the unforgiveness is one of the biggest. Uh, it's one of the biggest factors. If you don't know how to let go, so you don't know how to forgive. You don't know what forgiveness is for. You you'll stay stuck. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know how to forgive. I didn't know how to forgive. I I, I would yeah. never forgive. I still struggle with it to this day. <laughs> I was a guy that says I don't forgive anybody. Yeah. It's it's like that movie back in the days from Un- uh, Clint Eastwood, Unforgiven. I used to believe that movie. I used to be like <laughs> ask me Unforgiven. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's realizing you're you're just damaging yourself, yeah. and people always say you're drinking the poison yourself, hoping the other person gets contaminated, gets affected. Yeah. But that's what unforgiveness does to you. Well. Appreciate you for coming on the show, Ruben. This will be a a series, a continued series, Suffering in Silence. You know, the symptoms, the symptoms, and the uh, 
the outcomes of PTSD, how to deal with it. You know, we're going to we're going to uh, cap this off with a few more episodes to complete the series. And I appreciate you coming on. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you.